Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Begin by Soho CRM. So let's face it, you don't have to use spreadsheets, notepads, reminders, and 10 other apps to manage your customer information like you may be doing today. Whether you're a startup, a small business, or a freelancer, did you know that you can manage your business as effectively as any large corporation? With the current market, it's more critical than ever to retain existing customers while also staying on top of your sales pipeline. And you can do this with your business today by saying no to spreadsheets. Begin supercharges your workflow and helps you engage prospects, manage pipelines, and close deals without skipping a single beat. It has a super simple drag and drop interface, which will have you up and running in under 30 minutes. All listeners of our podcast can get up to 15 days for free, the free trial, along with a 50% off and up to $100 when you sign up. Just go to Soho.to forward slash begin Pantera Advisor and get started. If you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Chris. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every cell situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So very exciting entrepreneur that we have today with us. I mean, we're gonna be talking about building, scaling, financing, but most importantly, we're gonna be talking about iterating, iterating for nine years. I mean, incredible this story. I mean, very inspiring. What we're gonna be, you know, sharing here with you all today. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Timu Tucker. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So originally born in Estonia. So uh, give us a little of a, la- of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Yeah, yeah. I'm born in Estonia uh, in a small city with 40,000 people. Not really a city. So that, that's where I, where I grew up, went to school and so forth. You know, went to university in Estonia as well. So Estonia is a very kind of tech-driven country generally, even on, on a government level. And then we have a lot of startups, of course. I think we have almost 10 unicorns from Estonia. And like telling the capital is like 500,000 people. There's a lot of like um, startup, startup stuff going on there, uh, which was great. That, that's what it is. Now, in your case, you did a combination of business and computer science. So yeah. first and foremost, how did you get into gaming and computers? And then why did you think or why did you thought at that point that it would be a good idea to blend it with business? 
you know, I started playing games when I was a kid, and my first kind of business <laughs> or hustle was selling RuneScape gold to other kids in school. RuneScape is a game. So kind of the virtual currency and virtual digital assets, and the, the real value of those assets in the, in the real world was kind of obvious from, from that from that period. So, and then like, I was always, always interested in like kind of starting a company or, or like building something uh, and tech and games. And that was all like, I was interested in that. My parents were entrepreneurs as well. So that's kind of like, um, so that's where the business part comes from. And then of course, tech has been interesting, computers, games. And that's why I went to computer science to start and then uh, business. Yeah. But I started the company at 20. So it was like, yeah, the, the schools were kind of concurrent <laughs> with running the company or starting the company. But you had the advantage, obviously, of seeing your parents, uh, you know, go through the entrepreneurial journey themselves. So what did you get out of that? Because I'm sure that you saw them going through the ups and the downs of, of the journey. Yeah, my parents, like, they're, they're like small entrepreneurs, small business owners. Uh, I saw the hustle. I saw the drive. I saw just them, like, you know, going out and doing stuff. And I was really proud of that as a kid. You know, my, my father took me to, uh, uh, you know, like a, like a lawyer, a notary. What is it then? And to start, you know, start a new company, like you know, I, I could like brainstorm a name for his new company, and like that was like that was really cool. That got me really excited to like start something, and it felt like natural, not like scary. So I remember myself being very excited to, you know, become an entrepreneur, build a, build a business, and tech uh, since a very early age. And I think that comes from like the entrepreneurship part, part comes from parents. The tech part definitely doesn't. <laughs> so I'm not sure where that comes from, but. But yeah, entrepreneur parents are definitely um, the great, and they know what it, you know, what it takes and what it feels like. So they were quite supportive in uh, in me starting, and then you know trying it out. Now, obviously, that that definitely you know like allows you to 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 have that in the blood to a certain thing. Uh, now, in 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 your case, you got started pretty early, as you were saying, at 20 years old. You were still doing business school uh, when the idea popped in of of building a company. Now, it has been nine years in the making, you know, obviously multiple iterations. There is four co-founders, too. So I guess how did you really get into it and how did the band, you know, of the co-founders come together, too? Yeah. So first, like, just for background, you know, the thing we've always been building is avatars for virtual worlds. We saw nine years ago that people are spending more and more time in virtual worlds and games and so forth. And that trend has definitely been true for the last nine years and it will be true for the next decades to come. People will spend more time in virtual worlds through VR, through AR, to just like desktops, phones, and so forth. And avatars are a huge part of that, uh, that experience, virtual experience. You are an avatar in a virtual world. So they, they kind of need to have a great avatar that also travels across virtual worlds, increases a lot over time. And what we do with Ready Player Me is we give you an avatar that travels across thousands of virtual worlds and kind of becomes your metaverse identity. But that idea has evolved over time. And where we started from nine years ago, the decision was basically, you know, we saw Oculus acquired by Facebook. And it's like, okay, VR is probably going to happen. It's going to be social. It's going to make it even more, you know, uh, immersive and cooler to spend time in virtual worlds. And avatars are a big part of that. Let's start a company to solve the avatar part of the kind of VR you know, thing. And then we started from hardware, building hardware scanners, hundreds of cameras, you know, scan tens of thousands of people, and then, you know, drop the hardware business, use the database we collected and built like a deep learning solution that would take a single selfie, convert that into different styles of avatars, 
um, automatically. And when that was like an SDK, we started selling to all kinds of companies. Uh, our customers were like Tencent, Huawei, HTC, Vodafone, H&M, many others. And uh, we ended up kind of licensing the SDK, but you know, custom building the avatar system and the avatar tech around that. So like bodies and hair and like animation systems and all that stuff. We built it from scratch for like dozens of companies. And, and like that was over like four years. And like we iterated the product and we made it better and easier and so forth. And we learned what it takes to build a great outer system. We learned really deeply understood, understood what it takes uh, to build an outer system and, and what developers need in an outer system. And then our, after that four years of actually being a cash flow positive growing business, we dropped that enterprise part of the business and like just like basically, you know, went back to scratch, back to zero. And we took all the knowledge and the tech we have built and built a kind of a platform around that. So the Ready Pair Me is like an end-to-end developer uh, tool solution that gives you a, <laughs> that gives you an outer system you can integrate with your game. And we went from like zero customers to now 4,000 in like two and a half years. So, and that's been very successful. And we raised like Series A and Series B during that time. But um, anyways, <laughs> they kind of, there have been many inflection points in these nine years. But the main thing is we kept building kept iterating every year we had you know a new product or a new version of the product uh the world keep mo- kept moving to the direction we wanted it to move in uh, you know in i guess so like people spend more time in games i would just became more of a thing in a kind of a general culture with bitmoji and like memoji and like that there's a lot of like uh signs that the world is moving in a direction where we thought it will move at, uh, but the time was not quite right for like an explosive growth until, you know, like three years ago. But we kept building and became experts in something that now is very valuable, but wasn't obvious that will be valuable back then, you know. Yeah. And and that's kind of like uh, we made a big bet on the market. And I think that's kind of like a good thing to do as a, as a young entrepreneur. Like you can afford to take a bet on a market and kind of wait longer and grind through and like become an expert. And then like over being an older and, and kind of like more experienced entrepreneur, you might want to go into a place where you compete with execution over, uh, you know, kind of like taking a wild bet on a market and, and winning that bet. Uh, but anyways. So for the people that are listening and to really get it, what ended up being the business model of the company? How do you guys make money? For, for background, you know, how games make money generally is by selling yeah. virtual goods and assets. Games are usually free. Most of the revenue is generated from accessories and stuff you can buy in the game. Uh, and avatar accessories and avatar fashion and avatar stuff is one of the main drivers of revenue in games. So like Fortnite makes $5 billion a year selling avatar fashion. And that's also like our business model is to sell avatar skins, NFTs, accessories, and take a revenue share on that. So we are partnering with 4,000 companies that use our avatar tech and our, our, our avatar tools in their games. Whenever they sell any skins, NFTs, and so forth, we take a revenue share on that. And we also make those assets travel across worlds. So if you buy a skin or an avatar fashion item in one game, you can use it across the entire network. So it actually becomes kind of your avatar asset, not just a, a, an investment into a game you might not play in, in three months. So the goal is to kind of really make a, build a bigger market around avatars by opening up the market and connecting all the kind of separate closed game economies together. Now, one thing that is interesting here is the, and you were alluding to it, uh, you got to keep iterating, the world keeps moving and hopefully, you know, it moves in the direction in which you had hoped for. But in your guys' case, I mean, 
at one point you were even generating cash flow and you literally pivoted the business, you know, and went into like, again, from nothing to build something that you thought, you know, you had a clear, you know, uh, assumption that where things were heading. But but how do you how did you guys get to that point? Because when you build something from nothing and it's generating cash flows, then, you know, a lot of people may feel like, hey, you know, I think that we are into something here. Yeah, I mean, it, it did feel so, but we were kind of like uh, clear with what we want to do. And what we want to do is not to build a business that is just uh, okay and generates capital and, you know, whatever. It's like a lifestyle business eventually. We want to build something that is like massive and changes an industry and becomes a, something really big, like 10 or 100 billion dollar company. And just the business we were doing before, which had like a licensing, kind of like a backend service, some like service component to it. You had to build the outer systems. Like it would have, wouldn't, that, that was not the way to get there, you know? So it was not something we wanted. And although it generated decent, like it was growing and it was cash flow positive and so forth. But um, yeah, it wasn't something that was satisfying for us. And also like the goal was to build an avatar that travels across worlds. And back then we were just custom building avatar systems for each different game. They were all closed. So it didn't really like fulfill what we wanted to do in the world, um, but yeah, it was not. <laughs> it was not. Um, it was a little scary <laughs> to drop it. That's for sure. I hear you now. There's four four co-founders. They are in the business now, and and since the beginning, and you've gone through all these multiple iterations. And obviously, when things are not going so well, you know, you tend to point fingers. You know, like the egos get in the way, things like that. Obviously, you guys have been iterating for a long time until you were able to turn a corner. How mm -hmm. were you guys able to keep things together between the four of you? You know, like a lot of founders I've seen, they, they try to avoid conflict. And they try to be like super politically correct with each other sometimes. And like, not sometimes, they try to like, they try to like so be like nice and like, you know, avoid conflict. We're like the reverse, <laughs> you know, we're like, we can yell at each other easily. We can like have conflicts and everything gets resolved as it comes up, you know, and nothing bubbles up. Nothing kind of like stays whatever on the carpet until it explodes. And I think that's kind of really the key, like being able to kind of trust each other enough to, you know, be able to have a conflict and have, uh, you know, discuss things and resolve things uh, as they rise over just trying to try to look nice until like you just can't anymore and it blows up. I think that's kind of like the, the key thing. Um, but yeah, you have to have, have to have the right people have that have different skills that kind of complement each other and make each other better. Obviously, in our case, it was just luck that that happened. But yeah, it's 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 not easy. But you need to solve problems as they arise and not let let them bubble up. I think that's the main thing. So so. In your case, after for so long in the desert, trying to find promised land, you know, how, mm -hmm. what was that day like where you realized, hey guys, I, I, I think we were into something here? Yeah, I mean, like with Ready Pair Me, um, which was, it's, it's a platform product. It was like quite obvious from the very early kind of like just putting it out. Like we started getting a lot of inbound from developers. Developers were tracking us down in different like social media, personal social media, if we were not answering to them. They were like super eager, you know, super eager to, to produce a product. It was very organic, you know, like it's, we, we have a single 
as we know, marketing person still, <laughs> we have 4,000 customers, right? So like the product was like incredibly, had a very incredible product market fit. But at, at, at first it was still like, okay, like, is that real? Because after all this time of like not having great product market fit, you're like, you know, uh, suspicious, which is good. And then it's like, you, you validate, you test more, you see, okay, people are actually launching, like there's even more stuff coming out. And it was like instantaneously, uh, it worked, you know, you could see it worked. And, and then just get, get, get getting bigger. And then it went from like one customer to like, whatever, 30 customers in six months or so, which was like cool. And then went from 30 customers to a thousand customers in the next 12 months. And then now, uh, this year we went from a thousand to like 4,000 so far. So anyways, it's been like the core kind of like product just worked really well. Um, and it was great timing as well. Like it was like the first month of the pandemic or the second month of the pandemic or something when we launched. A lot of people were looking into VR meetings, virtual events. Like that was our first market with Ready Pemi. And then it went from there to like more general VR stuff, then games, then like, you know, education. Now there's like all over the place. Yeah, great timing, great product. You could tell there's something special about this as soon as it went out. And then we just get violating like different things. And But yeah, it, it, kind of, it really became obvious to think like, you know, six to nine months, months in, I was like, okay. This is not going to like die out, like the kind of growth and stuff. It's going to just kind of get crazier. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Unfortunately, in life, you know, there's not a user manual. You don't know what works for you, what's normal, uh, when you're feeling stuck, navigating some of the changes that you may be experiencing. Like maybe you're looking at giving your notice and becoming an entrepreneur, whatever that is, you know, having a therapist, you know, can really be helpful. And they're trained to help you in figuring out what's causing those challenging emotions. And also you get to learn, you know, with coping skills. I mean, in my case, for example, wherever I felt stuck or wherever I needed someone to coach me through it, I literally, you know, like had someone there, you know, helping me learning with coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma, whatever that was. So as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and better therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime, and it couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dealmakers. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash dealmakers. I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, 
or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. For the fundraising, how much capital have you guys raised to date? 74 million, I think, yeah. So 74 million. So how has it been the experience of raising that 74 million? Well, we raised like 3.3 million in the first seven years. And I raised like almost 70 or whatever, 70, I guess then, 70 something million uh, in the last uh, year. So in two rounds. So it's been, <laughs> it's been interesting. Uh, the first 3.3 were like, you know, several seed rounds trying to survive, trying to somehow raise some money to like pay for the bills. Uh, and also like running a very inefficient fundraising process, you know, speaking with a hundred investors, like, you know, like nine months or something like that. So I think like the, the main thing is always, you know, you, you have to have a business that is fundable and that's like what you need to have to raise money from great investors. But if you have a great business, then uh, it's also very important to run an efficient fundraising process. And I think the kind of the, the mindset, but the way we change things. Uh, really affected also the outcome and how we run the process is like we have like basically you can, you can think of it like um, sprints so you have like let's say a two-week sprint first week you go out to as many investors you can speak with like three four uh, funds per day you speak to as many people as possible second week you follow up and you try to get to term sheets even with, uh, with the first week kind of people and that was like a full market uh, process. Maybe now it's two weeks and two weeks. I haven't been out fundraising in the last like few months. But um, anyways, so like running an efficient process and trying to really push people to close at the same time and give you a term sheet at the same time is extremely important. Like Series A, we got like seven term sheets in like two weeks. Wow. So uh, so that's that's incre incredibly important because that like you go out and you speak with a lot of people the game masters feel it. They know you're out there. You're like running a great process. You're speaking with a lot of people. You will get funded. They're afraid that if they don't, they want to do it, they have to move fast, you know? And then that, that makes, that, that creates the right dynamic. And that's extremely important. And like, that's kind of the thing that like founders are missing the most. Like everybody knows how to make a deck and like all that stuff, but running an efficient process, like preparing a spreadsheet with all the investors you want to get in touch with, having names of people that will introduce you, like doing the pre-work on the investors, understanding who they are. If they don't know you at all, it might make sense to have a coffee with them or like random like a chat like a few months before or a month before to get to know them and also for them to get to know you. So when you hit the process, like you start, start the process, everyone's in a similar level to knowing you. Otherwise, you get, you get term sheets from people that know you well, you know, in a few days. And then the other ones that you might want more, that know you less, you know, like kind of our, uh, won't get there. But. Really quickly there, Timo, because I think that this is very important and there's a lot of people listening that, that are probably fundraising now or thinking about fundraising. Let's say a double click on what you're saying. Let's say, you know, you build building, building the relationships, you know, with all these say, investors, the people that you didn't know you had the coffee, as you were saying, let's say you have, let's say a list with a hundred investors. And now, you know, you feel it's time to activate the process. 
how would you go about that? Like in a clear example with those 100 investors, how would you execute? Yeah. So I would split those 100 investors into tiers. And like one tier is practice tier, which is investors you don't really want, but they're like relevant enough to have a chat with. The second tier is people that are good and relevant that you'll be okay and happy to work with, but they're not like great. And then the third tier is the one people you really want. So when talking about the process, I would take this first two weeks or the first kind of sprint to speak with the people you don't want at all. So you just go out to the funds that are like, meh, you know, and, and you speak with them, you run through the exact, exact same process and you learn, you kind of learn to pitch better. You learn to understand what the questions are. You make your plan watertight, you edit your pitch deck, you understand which points are clicking and you really get into their mode, you know, of like going out and then fundraising, right? And, and that's, that's the first uh, set of uh, investors. Then you take the top, well, top, top investors you really want to get as a second sprint of two weeks, let's say. Um, and then you go out there and you do the same thing, but you're experienced already. You, you have two weeks of like pitching behind you. You have done it for dozens of times. You know all the questions. Then you go out to the top list. And then after the top list is done, you should have a bunch of term sheets already. But if you don't, then you add the last group, which is the good investors. And that's the good investors are... If the second group nobody closes, or if they start dragging around, dragging along too long, then you add the third group to kind of create pressure for the top group and to have a potentially a good investor give you a term sheet if you don't get any good ones from the second um, sprint. So that, that's kind of like um, the process, like ideally, but always like it's never, <laughs> never plays out quite like that, right? Like it depends. You might get term sheets from the first group and you're like, oh shit, like should we take them? You might, you know, like many things can change. Like you can, you can get, you know, start getting so many term sheets that you understand that you have to go out to, out to uh, top investors quicker. Um, anyways, you edit it as, as you go, but that's the, that's the default process. And like running an efficient process like that will just put you in the best position to optimize for the best outcome you can get with the business you have today, right? Like you can't, you can't get a great investor by just running a great process. Like you need to have a great company as well, but uh, it it optimizes the the terms you can get and the quality of investors you can get and obviously the speed you can get us done with. So it's it's like a, a great thing to do. And most like investor, most founders that haven't really gone through the process many times, they just like they're like, oh yeah, and they read somewhere it takes six months to raise round. Like yeah, it could take six months. Like I mean, it's, it's taken us like nine months as well. So it's definitely possible. But then and then they go out, they speak with ten. 10 funds and they're like that they know and they're like three of them are like oh this is pretty interesting let's have another chat in like 10 days and then they're like oh yeah there's two funds i'm sure some of them you know they're gonna do it and then you might ask like three more interest per week and like yeah it does take six months and then the investors doesn't like there's no motivation for them to invest today because they know that you're like kind of like not gonna close it like anytime soon right versus you go out there you you run an efficient process like you're like hey like I'm going out, I'm going to close this round, you know, in a short amount of time. If you want to be involved, you have to be fast, you know. And then like if they do want to be involved, they will be fast. And then like if you're in the process with a lot of people at the same time, you can be like, hey, guys, I'm starting to get partner meetings. I have a few partner meetings next week. If you want to move, like now it's time to move, right? And then you can like you can you can control the time. 
And you can only do it if you have competition, if you have a lot of people involved. And, and that's why you know, running an efficient process is such an important part that people really miss. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I think that you're right on. Now, in your case, you went from Estonia to LA, from LA back to Europe, from Europe now New York City. How do you think that location you know, matters? Because in your guys' case, I mean, recently you closed you know, Andreessen Horowitz, probably one of the best investors. Yes. The best investor for us, for sure. Yes, location does matter. I mean, I think first you need to be where your business is or where your customers are. Um, and, you know, you need to optimize for success with your location. So not being in an optimal place in the world for your business shows investors and everybody that you're not taking this seriously, right? Like you're not... You're not optimizing for 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 the thing that you're saying you're optimizing for, which is your business. And like it depends, obviously. People's circumstances are, are different. People have families. I'm young. I don't have kids, so it's, it's easier for me. But if you show that you are committed to be in the best place you think for your business, that is a big sign, and that is a just a great thing to do. If you're European, for example, and you raise uh, money from European VCs, but US VCs as well, and you're based in the US, like European VCs probably have a, a slight fear that you have, con, con, you know, you are in touch with US VCs, and they might give you better terms and stuff, stuff like that. So I think that that does play a role as well. But mostly, it's just the commitment. Like, are you are you willing to com, you know, be fully committed and be where you have to be? to optimize for the success of our business. Yeah. Um, I can tell you, for me, it's not Estonia. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not the best place <laughs> to be. New York is the place because it's between Europe and the US, like West Coast. So I can, I can travel anywhere easily from New York. I can have calls, like seven hour time difference with Europe. I woke up very early. It's very manageable compared to West Coast, for example, which has a little bit more like kind of our industry people, but it's just impossible to manage my team from there. It's 10 hours. So like, New York is an optimal place for me to be to optimize for the success of my company and, and making the decision and going to the pain of like moving and stuff like that shows that you're for real <laughs> yeah, no and you kidding. have to make a lot of, you, know, you have to make sacrifices. No kidding. Journey. No kidding. Yeah. Now, now imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the, let's say the vision of ready player me is fully realized. What does that world look like? You wake up in the morning, you uh, grab a co cup of coffee, you jump into a VR meeting with your, with your, uh, you know, with your team, uh, maybe discuss uh, an evening presentation you're going to do on a virtual conference. Everyone's wearing an avatar. You look at your hand, you see a virtual watch you bought from a, you know, a craft a virtual hand maker, a watchmaker <laughs> as an NFT. Then you maybe walk to work, buy some cool Nike virtual sneakers from an online marketplace, wear it on your avatar, go to a virtual boxing class with your friend in the afternoon, you know, go to a virtual evening, a virtual event in the evening, give a presentation, go to a virtual after party, um, and then meet your physical people at your home, maybe in your family as well. And you use the same exact avatar across all these experiences. You buy stuff for avatar. It works across your virtual experience from a team meeting to a game you might play or a virtual boxing class to a presentation you give on a, on a virtual um, you know, stadium or whatever, presentation hall, <laughs> event hall. Anyways, you have the same exact avatar across your virtual experience. And the metaverse is not one platform or one game. Uh, and the metaverse is not controlled by one company. It's built by all those different 
kind of businesses that build events, that build virtual boxing classes. And this is all like a, a network. It's more like the internet where you can navigate between different pages and you can navigate between different virtual worlds. And you have a consistent, consistent avatar you can travel, that you can travel with. And, and the metaverse is more like the internet than, you know, uh, uh, a big kind of virtual world controlled by one company. And like our mission is to push the world towards an open metaverse which is not owned by one company or a few companies, but it's, it's built by millions of developers. And, and we do that by building avatars to travel across worlds and kind of connect with different virtual worlds closer together. That's amazing. I mean, that, that, that definitely, you know, sounds and looks like a beautiful world. So, Timo, so imagine now I was able to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time and I bring you back perhaps to that time where you were in Estonia in business school, you know, thinking about like what you were going to launch, you know, of your own. Uh, and you were able to to sit down that younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be? Why, given what you know now? I think like there have been a few. Like I mean, first thing I was like, just just keep going, just keep improving, just be better than you were yesterday. Just like that's one of our values, by the way. Uh, just like grow, be better, improve, learn, iterate, like all that stuff. I think the other thing that really like uh, changed the game a little bit was just being very realistic about things. I think as a very as a twenty year old, I was like, "No, this is this is how the world works." I'm sure this is how the world works. I'm not gonna even like try to understand how the world works. I'm just gonna say this is how the world works, and I'm gonna build this thing, and I'm not gonna like be critical about it. You know, like kind of like a red distortion field. Not practical in real life. <laughs> I think it, it's very practical. Like it's very necessary to understand the reality. Like what is your, what are your strengths? Like as as a person, as a team, as a product. Like what are your weaknesses? Like how can you improve yourself? How can you improve your product? Like what is the reality of the situation? Like uh, about yourself. Like, you have to be able to take feedback. You know, have to be able to process information without emotions or like lower emotions to understand the reality. And I think that's like the, the kind of very conscious choice I made at some point is like to to, to do that and strive towards just understanding things um, over like being blind to things because I want them to be in a certain way. And like that's just an obvious thing. It's, it wasn't obvious for me when I was 20. And uh, and when we made that shift, then we really then we then you can really start learning and then you can really start iterating and understanding the world a little bit better every 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 day. And if you do that given enough time, like you'll, you'll actually understand some things about the world at least hopefully. And, and you'll be a better person. You'll be a better CEO or founder. You'll be a better uh, business and a product and all that stuff. And I think that was the main, main kind of a big learning that really changed the course of our business. Amazing. Well, Timo, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? All my channels are super like full of stuff at the moment, but like uh, I think Twitter is like like that's that's like a low. <laughs> I don't have an email box full there, so Twitter, Timu Toka, that's like my name. Um, LinkedIn is my like strongest platform, but I'm like just this is you know I have like two thousand emails there, so I'm unlikely to get to them anytime soon. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, hey Timu, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Yes, thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts, 
or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.